Listen in Fridays to the new feature Times Like This on Aura City Radio in partnership with Luxembourg Times. 8.40 and uh, Yannick from Luxembourg Times joins me in studio. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, I'm good. How are you? Uh, very well, thanks. Uh, there's lots to talk about, actually, this morning, so I think we should just sort of jump right into it. And there's a, a lot of stories, especially to do with uh, the economy, uh, that you guys have been covering recently. Um, one thing that kind of caught my eye... Uh, sorry, there's someone... S- sirens flying past outside. We've got the windows open for uh, COVID reasons. Uh, one story that caught my eye was how the business lobby have said that the economy is weathering the uh, COVID-19 storm, as the headline puts it. Um, but this sort of... I remember a story a couple of um, months back saying that the autumn and winter period was going to be really tough for businesses and that there were going to be a lot of closures. So w- which is it? Um, I think that uh, Luxembourg is in a very peculiar situation as far as the COVID um, economic situation is concerned. Mm. Um, primarily uh, because, first of all, as the Chamber um, said itself, uh, the Luxembourg economy isn't as exposed to the negative effects of, of the pandemic. Uh, by virtue of being very heavily reliant on the financial sector and on the ICT sector that have uh, either more or less maintained their um, employment levels or have um, even um, increased hiring. Uh, So in that sense, yes, I think it's true that um, Luxembourg is doing uh, quite well or or better than a lot of the surrounding countries that are suffering more um, severely from the effect. Um, On the other hand, though, it is also true that Luxembourg hasn't imposed as severe restrictions as other countries, mm-hmm. not yet at least. I mean, there's rumours going around that, um, I think the health minister yesterday in RTL said that there might be a stricter lockdown coming soon, which, again, would, would change the economic outlook. So um, overall, given that you know Luxembourg's GDP is um, to up to a third reliant on financial services, which, um, of course, also um, might suffer from negative health and pandemic, but are less exposed, nonetheless. Sure, I, I, g- I guess the, it's the kind of business that be, well, pe- more people are able to work remotely from those, and it's more services and perhaps retail yeah. that is suffering. Yeah, especially the uh, hospitality sector. I think that in the hospitality sector, um, turnovers are 80% lower than in the previous year. Um, so, um, yeah, whilst they are important and loads of livelihoods depend on it, um, overall, the economy is doing well, which doesn't mean that individuals aren't suffering, which they sure. are. And especially, um, I think, self-employed people are, uh, the chamber said, they're twice as likely to fall into poverty. So that's something that um, policymakers should also take into account. Well, that sort of takes us on to the next story then, which is the 2021 budget and uh, the money that is being put aside uh, for pandemic support. Um there's, there will be continued support uh, for for business. Is that going to apply, do you know, to those self-employed workers or Horesca? I think some of it will apply to self I don't have the exact figures, but mm. uh, the government, after harsh criticism during the first wave, introduced some measures to um, help self-employed people, whether just them as well, whether those are sufficient or not, I, I do not know. But um, yes, I think it should be definitely a priority of the government to do so. And... Um, uh, yeah, the gov- government spending has, of course, increased quite a bit because of the pandemic, but uh, Luxembourg is still um, overall uh, in, a, in a good uh, budgetary situation. So they, they should have the means to, to help everyone when it comes to it. Uh, a lot of challenges for the government uh, in these times. And, and one a story that uh, I noticed, which was about money laundering, and apparently mm-hmm. that it's, it's easier to do during a pandemic. Why is that? Um, because there are more um, online transactions happening. 
Okay. So simply by virtue of the fact that there's increased online traffic and people are more reliant on um, online channels to, 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 to send their money uh, um, abroad, um, it's easier, I guess, to, to conceal uh, some activity. Um, because um, watchdogs and uh, the, and um, crime agencies might not have the capacities to to monitor all of that, um, so that that's definitely an important factor. Yeah, actually, I think we spoke last week about how uh, well it was actually at a European Union level where there was less funding for. Uh, well, policing this mm. kind of crime, um, but they uh, the Luxembourg government has been kind of proactive in this. There, there was a story about money, and we actually had it in our own news about um, uh, about money going back to Peru. Is this what the story is? Uh, yeah. Going back to Peru due to the sale, like it's basically ill-gotten gains through sales yeah. of arms. Is that right? Yeah. So there was a, a former Peruvian official, um, Vladimiro Montesinos, who was a, the a spy chief of. Um, former Peruvian president Alberto Fujimori um, and uh, he um, allegedly or well it's now been established by, by, by courts um, has uh, gained money from illicit arms trade and uh, some of that money ended up in Luxembourg and in uh, and, and um, I think it was around 10 million and another 14 million or so ended up in Switzerland so um, now there was a, a protracted process through which Peruvian authorities tried to reclaim some of that money um, and um, yeah, Luxembourg agreed to to send uh, those 10 million um, euros in, in funds back back to Peru. Um, so and I think this happened in the 90s. So it's been quite a while um, since uh, you know that, that that money was made. But uh, the Luxembourg government now, um, because uh, as a big financial center, Luxembourg is obviously. Uh, uh, a prime location, as many other financial for money laundering, and Luxembourg had been criticised quite sharply in the past by various international bodies for allowing that sort of thing and for not having the right mechanisms and uh, in place to um, to fight it. So, um, in, it remains to be seen um, how far Luxembourg will go in the future. But it's definitely uh, seen by a lot of international commentators as a good development that that money is given back to to the Peruvian people to to which it belongs. That's something that's been happening or that they've certainly been working on a lot over the last couple of years, isn't it? Improving that that reputation around yeah. the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it didn't even start with the LuxLeaks scandal, but that was, I think, one of the uh, one of the watershed moments. Yeah. No, sure. Mm. Uh, there's an, another story. ArcelorMittal uh, have been in the news quite a bit over the last probably 18 mm. months, two years even, and uh, uh, largely for for bad reasons, actually, mm. because they've been letting people go uh, as, well, those kind of jobs just, just leave. Um, but the workers there have secured a deal uh, with their unions. Yeah, uh, yeah, they have now after a protracted fight and uh, loads of fears about uh, job losses. And indeed, um, you know, it's around 500 people will be uh, uh, not working for ArcelorMittal anymore, but they will be going into uh, pre-pension schemes, or they will be retrained to join um, um, perhaps other other companies or, the, or departments. So, um, so that's been been a long file. And as we know, the, the steel industry is suffering immensely, and something that was um, exacerbated by by the pandemic, of course, because of uh, uh, of lower global trade volumes and just lower demand. But there's also other issues such as. Uh, uh, the energetic transition, um, sustainability, uh, uh, Chinese steel dumping, and the the ongoing trade war between the U.S., China, and um, and Europe, and, and and other actors as well in the world. So, um, while ArcelorMittal is, of course, one of the the landmarks of the Luxembourg economy, um, the effects were felt here as well, and there was a massive uh, uh, loss in in revenue over uh, over the last year or so. 
Um, so they, they, they do have to restructure in some way or another. And I think that um, it speaks to the, the strength of, our, uh, of, of the unions here in the country that uh, they managed to at least negotiate such a scheme that would allow the, the company to move forward with um, a new sort of um, structure whilst also um, giving maximal uh, social security to people within the circumstances. Very good. Uh, there's a, well, one of the other stories that I wanted to chat about was about how, well, well I guess this comes into the plans for the future and, and going forward. Uh, Luxembourg City infrastructure and population rise. This is basically uh, a story that has been rumbling for a long time. There's a, a lot of issues with housing in Luxembourg. We all know that, uh, whether it's the cost of it or just the amount uh, of it in Luxembourg and also uh, projections for the uh, rise in the population of Luxembourg and what they need to do to sort of maintain uh, the, um, well, basically maintain itself. Um, so what, what are they doing about it? Yeah, so um, I think it was a staggering number that that, uh, that I read in our, in our article as well, is that you know the population in Luxembourg City increased by 30% over the last decade, mm. which is an astonishing number. I mean, we all know that Luxembourg has the highest population growth in, within the European Union, mostly because of immigration, because the country is economically attractive. And as, as, you, as you said, the, the housing market cannot, cannot keep up. So uh, now Luxembourg City has these massive infrastructure projects in, in Hollerich, and, um, and, and near the Stade José Bartel to um, build housing units and to transform, uh, you know, uh, land that isn't used anymore or isn't as efficient used as, as, it, as it was back in the day to, um, you know, create new housing units. I think it's around 3,000 housing units or so, which, um, you know, can host loads of families or, you know, individuals, um, which as such is a good, uh, by, I think by 2025. Uh, which as such is a good deve development and there's many other, you know, large infrastructure projects happening around the country in the south as well. Um, the, the question is though whether, would it, whether it will be enough, given mm. that um, housing prices are still rising by a staggering amount, like above 12-13% per year. So, um, you know, it's, it's a good initiative, but I, I, I do have my doubts with, um, that, that it will be sufficient to to actually um, accommodate the, the massive uh, population growth and uh, um, and economic growth as well. Yeah, I think we've spoken about this before. I mean, uh, you, moving one answer is moving people out of Luxembourg City, yeah. moving business outside of Luxembourg City to the surrounding cities or even the border. Yeah. Um, is, is there any kind of plans to do that, uh, concrete plans to do that, do you know? Um, I mean, there, there is, an, I think, a very conscious attempt by the government to, to decentralize the economy more and more. And you have uh, loads of projects happening in places like Deferdon, Gestur Alzat, Chiflange, which are already densely populated, however. Um, and you have, for instance, the um, loads of banks are now in, in Münzbach, in the east of the country, uh, which is fairly close to Luxembourg City, but it is um, supposed to at least alleviate some of the pressure that uh, the city is experiencing. So um, I think what, what Luxembourg is essentially moving towards is um, a, a sort of um, landscape around Luxembourg City that will become increasingly urbanized and will increasingly grow together basically as one big city. Um, and, you know, there's plans like, you know, building a tram from Lux City to Ashiraz, that sort of thing, which mm -hmm. will make, um, you know, the, the country much more interconnected. But, yeah, there's still place to build, but there's also um, loads of... Um, very stringent environmental protection rules that need to be dealt with and 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 other and other issues as well 
such as um, you know property in private hands that cannot just be expropriated. So you know, it's sure. Uh, are these housing projects? Are they are they state financed? Are they privately owned? Are like like are they going to be sold at a at a, a wild profit yeah. and and not do anything to pop to housing prices or are they? Social housing. What, what's yeah. the what's the idea? Uh, um, partly. So the the government has um, you know laws in place to subsidise affordable housing and, and housing projects, which are going to be applied. And uh, the city of uh, the council of Luxembourg is actually going to be owning fifty percent of the housing units in the uh, Hollerich area, which will allow it to to rent them out or to sell them at a more affordable price if they if they. Uh, plan to do so. It will also allow them to have some sort of level of control over how the quarter is being developed because they want to have an um, ecologically sustainable quarter. So, um, yeah, so it's like a public-private sort of uh, joint venture. Even 50% is quite high, actually. It's That's quite not high. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, what's the story about Claude Maish having a go at Luxembourg Award? So, um, um, a few weeks ago, I think roughly two weeks ago, the Luxembourg Award and uh, Let's Boy Land, uh, uh, two of their journalists, they um, saw the actual figures about infections in schools, um, which was a, a confidential document. Um, and it kind of uh, went against the narrative that Maish was uh, presenting again and again at press conferences that schools weren't major um, hubs of infection. So they, they published an article based on the figures they saw in that document, which is not a public document. And uh, my, um in answer to a parliamentary question which raised those figures, um, responded um, in an almost Trumpian manner, you could say, saying that... Um, you know, the, these journalists crit criticizing um, the figures that the government was officially presenting at press conferences um, is undermines to uh, amounts to undermining the institutions of the state, which basically means that any sort of criticism of official government figures, um, you know, is an act of, to put it harshly, maybe treason. <laughs> Um, right. No, not not quite. But you 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 you, 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 you get what I'm saying. I mm -hmm. think I think it's a slippery slope that could lead to a discourse such as that, um, and we've seen seen that happen around the world. Um, and I myself, I was present at several press conferences where much presented the numbers, and I I never thought that they were, you know, I have I don't have too much of a background in statistics, but I, I never thought they were too scientifically sound. So, for instance, he presented. Um, figures on, on, on in infections in schools generally. So we, we picked a, a few random schools with different populations, but um, these figures only ever included the number of pupils infected, not of um, teachers or other stuff, which to me seemed um, a bit misleading because you have to look at a school as, like, uh, as a whole system to, to understand what is happening there. And uh, also they didn't have like figures on asymptomatic transmission and um, which we uh, scientists assume that especially young people and children uh, are more likely to asymptomatically transmit the disease. So, um, you know, there's always a sense that Maish wanted to present um, uh, figures that would reassure parents and teachers and, and teachers' unions and parents' unions because the, these were, they were quite concerned about infections in schools and you know, bringing the disease back home where they could infect parents, grandparents or vulnerable individuals. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, attack from Maish on the press is quite concerning and um, it kind of is perhaps a symbol or a, 
of the government's, or at least certain government members' um, misunderstanding of what, what journalism should be and what the press should do. Well, what do you think that they they think it should be like a like a mouthpiece almost as opposed to uh, for facing actual tough questions? I think that's mm-hmm. something that is. Uh, I think that's what a lot of the press has been actually in Luxembourg in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it's good to see people actually questioning and and, and digging a little deeper into these things. So uh, uh, more of that, please. Uh, finally, uh, Brexit is almost upon us. Uh, it will officially happen on the 1st of January. Talks continue and it continues to be pushed back as it always seems to be. Um, but with it come new rules, uh, including new digital rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this to do with, uh, is this like e-commerce or, or what is it to do with? So uh, the, the EU, and this is, Somewhat independent of Brexit, so this is a long-standing uh, concern of uh, the um, EU's Commissioner uh, Margaret Vestager, uh, who's been trying to rein in uh, the impact of big tech and mostly the big American com- companies, Google, Amazon, Facebook, um, Apple, on on the European market. So they proposed two acts: the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act, which um, would try to um, yeah, constrain the power uh, that these uh, companies have on, on uh, the European economy, because they, for instance, the European Commission, for instance, argues that um, because these companies are so big, they can easily like, stifle competition in Europe, which um, prevents, you know, small digital startups or, you know, you know, aspiring big tech companies from actually competing with them because mm-hmm. they will just be swallowed up by um, um, Amazon, um, you know, or, or Facebook, Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think one of the pro- proposals, if I remember correctly, is um, to fine uh, these companies um, at 10% of their global revenue, which is quite a lot, which yeah. would give the European Commission a lot of bite. It's a huge market, so they want to take advantage of being a huge market to... Um, um, you know, punish uh, anti-competitive uh, behavior. So, uh, sure, and, and actually, I guess there is uh, there is talk of stuff like that happening in the states as well. So, if they're to both come together right, yeah. uh, and work on this, you might actually see some real change yeah. in the next year, I suppose. Yeah. Or so. All right. Well, lots of stories to keep an eye on, and lots of developing stories there. Yes. Uh, and if you want to hear and get more detail on all of those, check out uh, Lux uh, LuxTimes.lu. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, perfect. Uh, Yannick, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you as well. We'll see you again. And, uh, well, Merry Christmas. I don't think I'll see you next week. Oh, City.